Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Mary Walsh O'Shea. Mary's been a pioneer in reshaping the landscape of healthcare education through virtual reality. Mary's journey began in adult literacy, where she fostered growth as both a tutor and a beacon for innovation in learning spaces. Her passion, though, for immersive education has led her to orchestrate a groundbreaking VR initiative, which we're going to talk more about today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you very much, Craig. I'm delighted to be here with you today. I always like to start with a bit of an origin story because VR is still relatively new and emerging to many people. What got you interested in this medium? Okay, well, just, I suppose, to give context on, on where I am, I'm working with Waterford and Wexford Education and Training Board, which is one of 16 education training boards in Ireland. And the education training boards, ETBs, as, as they're known, provide training and education in uh, colleges and other education um, centres across all of Ireland. And um, I started in... Tw- uh, 2000 as a literacy tutor, a volunteer literacy tutor. And uh, this position, I suppose, gave me great opportunity to work with learners coming forward to improve reading and writing. And um, in 2001, then I be I got a job with WWETB as a resource worker. So every learner that came forward in the areas I was working, the locations I was working, you know, went through, a, I suppose, an initial assessment to see uh, their level and to place them within a group or in some cases I would have done one-to-one with them where um, I suppose you would have built confidence and things like that. But this position really allowed me to really get the whole idea of how people learn. And one of the big things that jumped out at me was technology. So that was the start of technology for me. And I remember working with a couple of learners who uh, would have had difficulty uh, with word site recognition. And I suppose one of the things that they said was, you know, around the independence of being able to recognize words without having to speak to family members and lose their confidence. So we looked at speech to text and text to speech apps. So that that was back in, I suppose, the the, the 2005, 2006, 2007. And in 2018, I moved on to another job as a coordinator of part-time programs across Wexford. And we delivered QQI, uh, level four and level five, a lot of healthcare, horticulture, childcare, office skills. And, And this area then there was a lot of skills demonstrations required uh, for them and I always wondered is there a better way of maybe capturing skills demonstrations or teaching and learning in those kind of vocational awards where people were going out to work in the area so a couple of things happened in 2019 I had uh, my son was 11 years old and he was talking about virtual reality and the HTC Vive headset and it was brilliant and whatever didn't really take that much notice of But then a couple of months later, I had the great opportunity of uh, getting a chance to wear the HTC Vibe headset in one of our fab labs and to be able to walk through a house. And in that particular moment of wearing that headset, I said, wow, this this is something can really add to education and training. So roll on a number of months and I spoke with some healthcare learners who were doing our QQI Level 5 Healthcare Support Full Award. And uh, we were chatting about the type of things that would make it easier for them to maybe transfer into working situations. They do work experience and, and work placement, but they were talking about the idea of having a hospital room in all of our further education and training centres. And I just said, what would you think of a virtual hospital room? 
And that's where the idea came. And that's where I suppose we've moved on. We had to uh, develop this and I had to do a lot of uh, research on it. And LinkedIn has been really good because I can reach out to people and, and ask questions. So that was 2019, but we're now in 2023 and we're coming towards, I suppose, the end of developing that. And you know, if you want to ask me specific questions around the development of that, that's fine. But that's where the whole idea, but technology, and then we're talking about immersive technology is very important, I think, in, in education and training. One of the things that caught my eye when you and I did connect on LinkedIn is the fact that you have spent a lot of time teaching adults. And, you know, we, we sometimes get caught up in terminology. You know, there's this term out there called andragogy, which means that this is like applying what we know about adults and applying teaching and learning strategies versus another term that is often used more often, and that is pedagogy, where pedagogy is supposedly taking what you know about teaching children and using those fundamental principles. Is, is this key in all the work that you're doing now with immersive technology, as well as some of the stuff you did prior to teaching adults, how important is this to delineate between these two groups? So I suppose anybody that has done any course uh, on adult education or has got into uh, literacy or something, we will have all heard of Malcolm Knowles and um, Andragogy. And, you know, um, I remember, I suppose, starting out as a literacy tutor and this thing was Andragogy is the way to go. You you know, you treat adults a particular way, you teach them a particular way. And that's very, very important. I do believe that um, because adults come to an environment, a learning environment with a rich experience, you know. And I remember this saying a beginner reader is not a beginner thinker. And it's really, really important that um, we take that. And I suppose Malcolm Knowles would have put forward those ideas. People are self-directed. There's a readiness to learn. They want experiences. That has to be captured in, in teaching of adults. However, on the other side, and I would have would have had that within literacy, working as a literacy tutor, sometimes people weren't as self-directed and you had to kind of go a little bit differently. But now, coming on after having so many years of experience, I don't get caught up about andragogy or pedagogy um, but I do you know when I think about the whole idea of virtual reality and that's what it's about it's creating this scenario for a learner to carry out and I thought we'll talk further about that it was a care check and a bed bath where it is about their experience and where they're going to do something in a hospital and they want to be a healthcare assistant so it does tie in with that but I, I know when you start out first of all and, and I remember feeling really strong oh no you don't you, you know it's it's really important important that you, children and adults are different but but now after having my own children and see you know there's there's some similarities that you can can bring into both as well and if we talk about universal design for learning I could have 10 people in front of me but they all have different needs or different ways of learning and that's important so you you mix and match what's required as well but you do have to remember adults are bringing a rich um I suppose vibrancy to the environment but that and that has to be I suppose that has to be you have to give credit to that and you have to allow time to discuss that and, and and I'll talk about literacy for a second just around even working with people with reading and writing we used to use it uh, terminology and I think it's I'm sure it's still there the language experience approach so the language experience approach is around what language that you use so if I'm talking to somebody and we're talking about you know can you tell me what you do in your job and I write that sentence it's their language I'm using and I'm writing down that sentence so the first thing is that they want to be able to maybe spell the language that they're using, spell the words and recognize the words rather than me prescribing what they should be doing. So that's where that's where I see it, I suppose, as well around the whole andragogy and pedagogy. But then we talk about pedagogies, you know, for teaching and ensuring we have the proper methodologies and things. So it's, it's quite broad, but it has to be in the back of your head when you're creating learning experiences. And in particular, creating learning experiences using this amazing modality of virtual reality for adults can be a lot trickier. I know before we hit record on the show, you talked about your son and how astute he was because he had a lot more time in games than 
adult learners who maybe don't have that rich gaming background experience. Mm. So they're, they're a little bit more confused and we have to try and manage what we might call their cognitive load when we plop them in a virtual reality experience. Talk a bit about that because I know you've had experience trying mm. to sort of manage those, you know, rookie uh, VR people. Mm, I suppose and it's, it's it even just before they even put on the headset, it's the controller, being able to use the controller. And and we've done a number of demonstrations where we've had colleagues and people come in to use um, the headset and the controllers. But I'll just give the example. So my son, who is 10 and loves his, his bit of uh, VR and a bit of gaming, you know, he went through one of the scenarios. But because he was able to use the technology, the, the controllers and go at the pace, he went Went through the task very well and, and got to the end of it okay so that the technology wasn't a barrier but if i bring in then an adult who hasn't used that type of technology or a controller or isn't used to teleporting within an immersive environment that's going to throw them so the most important thing is that you have even i suppose um how are you going to manage that so you have to put that in before and you have to think about that before you even bring somebody to the immersive environment and even during the week I had a meeting with the company that are developing this software for us. Imagine they're a Waterford City-based company. And we were just talking about even that whole idea of we have a tutorial within the app where people can use the actual, could learn how to use the controller. But one of the designers, Siobhan, on the team was saying, we even have to come back a little bit from that. And I was maybe a little bit blind to that as well because I'm used to the controllers and I was used to looking at, you know, my son doing this. And But now we need a diagram of the controller so again you're back to this universal design for learning and giving people the different and making sure that people can understand things but if you bring in some new technology and people are having a problem with it then it's a barrier and you've lost you've lost i suppose the positivity of that new innovation or that new technology mary you you are so right and i i worry when i read previous research studies that are trying to measure the efficacy of VR and whether it improves learning outcomes. My worry is, you know, I, I don't have access to how they actually went about doing what you said. Did they actually, before they act started, you know, day one of whether the VR uh, application was improving learning did they do a tutorial? Did they get the learner comfortable first? Because if they don't and they start the study, you know, the first, you know, few data points might be skewed because the learner is so uncomfortable and doesn't understand the controls. And it's not VR that's the problem, I don't think. It's that they haven't, like you said, did due diligence in making sure that they were comfortable in the learning environment. Absolutely. And, and I am hoping to do some research myself. I've um, just started a professional doctorate with UL and I am hoping to look at the efficiency of, of virtual reality. And I think that's a really important point because if you don't get the beginning right, you're not going to get the end right. And uh, if you're doing a study on something and that hasn't been taken into account, how are you going to show that a learning outcome was achieved because you didn't start at the right part, you know, you didn't start at the beginning. And uh, it's, it's important that we build anybody thinking of introducing technology. And I think for us, where we are with this particular app, we're looking at it being a teaching and learning tool, but also an assessment tool. So if we don't get this right in, in implementing this and supporting the, the learners and also the teachers that are going to use it. It's going to be a waste of, I suppose, time and the amount of stuff that went in. So we have a very good team of people involved. I have a number of teachers, of a number of coordinators, and I'm taking all feedback. And only in the last uh, couple of weeks, one of my coordinators uh, who works with me and on my team, Susan, has recommended even that we would implement this on a single module basis, first of all, rather than going into the full award. So we can, I suppose, ascertain how much time is required to so support people and to get people ready. And I think it's good that people are thinking like that, that somebody can come to you and your team and say, you know, we, we need to look at that. And that's that's, that's being aware of our learners as well. Now, look, roll on 10 or 15 years, we might be 
in a different situation because people who are working with us will be the digital natives and will know um, how to use controllers and things. But I, we, we had a meeting with um, QQI and they're the accrediting body. And one of the things that the, the head of quality there said to us was technology cannot be a barrier mm. to this. And that's what that has stayed in the back of my head. If this is to be successful, we have to ensure that the learners get the support. And if somebody says, Mary, I don't want to do this, they don't have to do it. We have a mannequin that they can do a traditional mannequin as well. That that's that's really you can't you can't enforce somebody to use a virtual reality. However, I would believe, and, and it's a thing that we've we've decided in the team, we have um, within this app, we will have a practice mode, a revision mode, and an exam mode. So the practice mode allows the learner, so say it's the care check and they're going to be taking blood pressure, they're going to take body temperature, they're going to be checking catheter bag, they'll be checking the pulse. Amazing, the pulses. You can actually feel the, the pulse in, in the controller. But um, um, it's important that um, we bring people to that in a slow way and we allow people to to get used to that. But if, if, if they don't know how to use the, the controllers and things and we, we kind of... Um, we're going to lose what we need to, but the, the 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 assessment of that then would be recorded. But the practice and the revision mode gives people all of that support before they go into the exam mode. But within the practice mode, I think what we're doing is we're allowing people to see the kind of visual aid. So there's a green hand over the basin that they need to put their hand in, or there's a, so it's all practice and it goes at a very slow rate. Then they go to the next stage where it's a revision mode and there's none of that support there. It's there if they want it, they can click on a tablet for help, but they're pushing. So you're kind of going from a very scaffolded around them where they're getting supported. And then they also have the revision mode where the scaffolding pulls away a little bit and there's a little bit more, I suppose, thinking themselves and, and, and maybe a little bit of, um, I suppose, problem solving. Well, how do I do this? And remembering the content. And then the exam mode is where it's assessed by the internal uh, verifier who is the teacher. And then our external authenticator will come in and be able to see that as well. But the other thing, I suppose, what we decided is even around that practice mode, one of the teachers would record themselves going through that whole practice mode. And we would show that maybe on as a recording to the, the learners before we'd ever even immerse them into that environment. So they can see what they're not going in, putting on a headset, oh, I'm in here now and it's I'm not supported. So, you know, we're thinking the whole time around that. Uh, and a lot of time has gone into the consideration of that. Let's look at this a little bit in more detail. So you're using a virtual hospital. You've picked two healthcare skills. One is what, what's called a care check, and then the other is a bed-bath skill. What made you land on these two healthcare skills to try and see if virtual reality might enhance or better the training of these healthcare professionals in those two topics? Okay, so I actually saw a bed bath being carried out on a mannequin one day within a healthcare room after, you know, thinking about um, using immersive technology. And um, I felt, well, you know, this this looks good. It's quite complicated. I'm not going to say, you know, there's a lot of work involved in it. I thought this would be a good, uh, I suppose, um, scenario to use as a skills demo. Spoke to the teacher. She said, yeah, we can. We had to obviously break it down into each point because everything has to, that you do if you're lifting the patient's arm, that has to go into coding in VR. Then the care check. And we felt they, they were two things that were really kind of important to us. But if you look at the two modules, we have the care check check, which is part of activities of living patient care, which is one of the modules of the healthcare support. And it's one of the ones that the hospitals would be looking for when someone goes in as a healthcare assistant. And then the bed bath is part of care skills. There's a load more we could do, but mm. the amount of time that has gone into this, because, you know, even with the team that I'm working with in Imagine and our own team that I'm working with, to actually get something from reality happening into virtual reality and i'll just give an i suppose an example so with the bed bat we have an npc a non-player character because usually we carried out the bed bat in team and you have two people doing it together so we we've actually named him steve now or not an <laughs> and um and and it's just that 
there's just so much work around turning over the patient, moving the sheets. All of that had to be broken down into all little small steps and even getting the sheet at the right fold that there's dignity and respect. We're covering the, the, the actual patient. All that stuff had to be taken into account. And the basins, like we one basin with soapy water, one basin with plain water and the towels, all of that had to be. So there was a lot of time went into that. So they're complicated um, I suppose uh, environments to get into virtual reality but when you go in and you put the headset on and you see this you feel that you're actually in this space and I, I, I give you a funny story really because <laughs> this makes me laugh sometimes a colleague of mine Liz um, was trying it out um, oh, a number of months ago and she had the headset on and she was in the, the hospital room and she was really engrossed in the hospital room and carrying out her tasks. Somebody came around in real life. Somebody came around the corner in the hall and said, hello, I was kind of whispering. And Liz <laughs> said, there's somebody here. There's somebody in here with me because, and it just shows you how your mind can make you yeah. feel you know, you're really there. Or in the bed bat, I was saying to the design team, I feel like, with the basin when I'm filling it up with water, it, it's getting heavier. And they're saying, no, it's not. That it, that's but that's how psychologically I'm believing, you know. So that's that's important to learning, I think. Even when you talk when we talked about andragogy thing, but that whole psychological thing of being immersed in an environment, 360, you're there, the bed is in front of you, and you really believe. Or if you let the thermometer fall, which I've done in the care, I'm bending down looking under the bed. But people are saying to me in the real environment, what are you doing? What are you bending down for? I'm looking for the thermometer. What thermometer? They can can't see it but I'm in this immersive environment with the thermometer after falling out of my hand so it's just it's just it's it's another world but it's it's and it's connected to I suppose real world thing and that's another thing when you you know I suppose I didn't say this at the beginning when you talk about virtual reality you know bringing virtual reality into the classroom you have to talk about why are you doing it as well. So for us, we couldn't put a hospital room in every one of our further education training centers. But now we have a virtual hospital room, you know, where people can still access and to get there's a clock on the wall and it's really it's going around. It's a live clock and things like there's music in the background. There's a there's a view from the window, a 360 view of Waterford City, which the company put in. And it really feels like you're in this nursing home. And how would we do that in in? So you're creating a world um an immersive world and you're giving people that feeling as well now i know that's all the positive things of it and back to we have to ensure that people know how to use it and the teleporting is really funny because <laughs> um i remember the first time i put the headset on thinking how am i going to go back because i got funding to our innovation manager and our fed director how am i going to go back and say i need a massive room now to move around in because i didn't know how to teleport and my <laughs> son I have to, I'm very happy with my sons. They're great support. She told me, ma'am, press the joystick and move it on and you can go over there. You can move around. So they're all things that we can't do in the real world. Well, we'd love to be able to do it, but we can't. And again, there are things that people need to be aware of, but it's not a barrier for people. Like you can turn around in this room without ever having to turn around, if you know, by pressing the joystick. But again, someone might have a problem with moving if you're turning the joystick and they're feeling, I feel a bit dizzy. You have to take all those things into account as well that's that's really really important but with regard to the rooms there that's the reason why we picked those two we have other loads of other um i suppose infection prevention control and things that we'd like to do but i think it's important we do this we get this complete we get it out into our classrooms in the sense of into our the modules and we do it right because if I'm going to do a job, I'm going to do it right. And, and right means considering all of the variables that could go wrong and that you have a preventative thing and getting people prepared. It's not only the learners either, it's the teachers. We have to support the teachers with this as well and give them a chance to get used to the technology. One of the criticisms I've heard about using virtual reality environments for a skills-based outcome like what you're talking about is how hard it might be to try and set up the notion that we want unpredictability. Like, you know, you think of any skill, whether that's working on an assembly line or in your case, bed bath skills, is that humans are unpredictable, systems can be unpredictable, 
And yet trying to program that into a virtual reality scenario is a whole new level of complexity. Like, you know, the person might argue with you Mm -hmm. as you're trying to deal with them and to do the care checks or the bed bath skills, or the person might, uh, you know, uh, they might kick their leg out accidentally or something like that. Is, 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 is that possible in your guys' scenario or, you know, kind of like the journey of a learner from novice to being an expert, this, these particular two VR experiences, the care check and then the bed bath skills are just kind of one jump towards the long-term journey of getting really good at it. Hmm. Yeah, th- th- there's a couple of points there and and that really resonate with me. And, and, and I suppose hmm. I had to think when, when we were pull, pulling this together and one of the, the first teacher, Vicky, who worked with me on this and, and there was a lot of work went into it. So I had to base this on, we say, the module descriptor that it's connected, as I said, to care skills and the activities of living patient care. There's a marking scheme for uh, that particular task. Um so I, I, the most important thing, if we were looking at it from an assessment point of view, that I got those type of things. So there isn't anything in that marking scheme around, I suppose there is about communicating with the, with the patient, ensuring that you're telling them exactly what you're doing. It would have been lovely to be able to make that patient speak and say, I don't want to have this bed back today. Because, but then you're going to another level. And I think it's important that this is brought into VR. I would like to see this in virtual reality because what happens is then you have a patient and the patient is actually called Patrick and he's saying, I don't want to bed back today, Mary. So what do I do? This is problem solving skills. Now I have to come up with a solution here. What kind of communication skills do I use here? But that isn't a part of that particular assessment, but maybe it should be built in anyway, because we talk about, you read everywhere, there's, there's you know soft skills and I, I don't even like the use of that word, but problem solving skills thinking skills and I see it around me people sometimes find it difficult to solve problems but if we get enough scenarios where where you actually have to use your experience to solve problems you would so yeah I'd love to be able to and I do agree with you but for this particular purpose it was what was required to be assessed as well but Mm. it would be it would be I think going forward if anyone was thinking of of developing something like that that it would be that the patient might be a little bit contrary or you know or just didn't really want to. Now, it's funny you should say about the leg um, um, falling or something. I know as well with the care tech, when within the virtual reality environment, you know, when you lift a hand, but if you lift it too fast, the, the wrist goes kind of a snap and we laugh. I've broken his <laughs> wrist. Now, obviously, you wouldn't want to be doing that in real life. But, you know, it's just those are things that. But even when I did that, I was where, oh, my God, I'm, a, I'm after doing something now to this man or this woman's hand because it's a woman in the care check or it's a man in the bed bath. Um, so you're even aware of things like that right yeah but i do think i think when we talk about developing communication skills and we talk about developing critical thinking skills we need to put problems into virtual reality real problems that people have to solve and you know what do you do then you're talking about you know you're you're asked these scenario type questions in interviews sometimes and you have to but if you were really faced with this and if this particular patient said, i don't want to bed but what do you do then as a healthcare assistant you know, so that they're kind of things for I do. Yeah, absolutely agree with you on that. It would be lovely. But I think for because we were assessing and, and a lot of the assessment goes into the communication skills and how you're treating the patient and you're talking to them. OK, you know, um, Patrick, where do you have a hearing aid? Do you have I'm going to do this? I'm going to um, I'm going to raise the bed or I'm going to lower the bed. Or I'm going to turn you on your side. So it's about how the dignity and respect to the patient is about communicating with the bed. Those are the things that are actually being assessed, I suppose, within that uh, particular module or that particular skills demonstration. Because when you think about it, if you talk about traditional um, skills demonstration where we're using a mannequin, 
unless we have one that talks, we're not going to have it anyway. You know, we have some, uh, we, yeah, some of the mannequins are kind of frightening as well when you see them sitting <laughs> in a wheelchair and you think there's actually somebody there. But, you know, it's just, that's, I think that is a really valid point going forward with any kind of VR. We need to be creating an environment where maybe someone is is being getting a chance to experience problem solving and thinking critically and what would you do as well. That's, that's that would be higher level. You'd be going to, you're talking about Bloom's taxonomy and things. What do you do? Where do you go there with things? Yeah, but yet, like I said, I think especially learners who are new to any uh, skill, you know, we have to gently take them through the learning process. We can't just throw them in the deep end and expect them, if they're brand new to a skill, to be able to just start problem solving right no, away. We, no. you, you use the term scaffold and we need, you know, the criticism that I get a lot is just that, that, well, you know, this isn't really 100% realistic and, you know, having the learner go through the steps, you know, where there isn't any pushback or there isn't anything that causes them to think or problem solve is not like the real world. And, and my pushback to those people that give those criticisms is that, they first need to get the skill down, the repetition, the muscle memory. And once yeah, they've exactly. got that, then, you know, let's ramp it up and start having the, you know, the non-player character be combative or start to say things that maybe aren't on script. But I still, as a, a fan of VR, tell people, listen, this is this muscle memory stuff is essential. They can, you know, repetition, practice, 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 feedback. And once they've sort of finished that sort of stage in their learning, let's move them on to something harder and more complex. I think you can do it in a phased approach. And I was listening to one of um, another podcast that you had with somebody and somebody was talking about a PowerPoint presentation. And if you think about language, you know, if somebody's trying to learn a language rather than just give them a handout, it could be that they're at a train station and then they have to work out maybe the word associated with whatever they see a sign. So you can have small, you can start with a kind of a, again, maybe a scaffolded problem and you build from there but the, the, the I suppose the capacity and um, is there within VR to bring it to wherever you want it you know you can start with as you said get them used to the technology and you can bring it as far as you want to bring it that's the beauty of it as well but it is in the back of my head wouldn't it be lovely if this patient could speak and wouldn't it be lovely but I suppose I have to get it to where we need it to be for the assessment and things and look like that but it gives other people's ideas but start small and build up and go from there as well. I think that's important. You mentioned universal <laughs> design for learning, and I want to hang our hat a little bit more on that because in nowadays inclusivity is key. And mm. you know, there's there's a bunch of things I, I want your opinion on. One is you mentioned the notion that lots of people are a little bit reticent to go into VR, and what would we do about those people? As well as just you know, again revisiting this notion of universal design for learning and and a medium like VR, which is new, causes angst amongst people. And how do we deal with that? And maybe is there a way that you've learned in your patience of rolling this out to help people get over that hump and barrier and encourage them to go in or not? Yeah, I suppose with, with regard to universal design for learning, I think, and, and I, I have to accept that there might be learners who may not want to use a headset. Okay, so that's then that, let, we'll say let, let's label that a problem so how do I find a solution to that well we could let people see a video of somebody using it we could maybe you know get bit by bit but then they may still not may want to use it that's okay too as well but I think I think it's about um, again it's always about how you implement it and about bringing it to people but um, I mean I think that it's just we have a few people. I remember coming in. I'm here in my 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 office in Walford now, and coming in with a headset to a classroom. And this woman just straight away looked at me and said, "I'm not going to be using one of those." And I said, "That's okay, because that's what you have to do. That's you know, I'm not going to say you are going to use it, and or yeah. I would no other teacher should do that. That's okay." And then she went on to say, "I actually get a little bit sick in it." So you have to listen to where people are coming from, and and maybe then they might try it out as well, because people also have issues with 
you know, some people can't wear headsets and things as well. So it could be. But I think, you know, if, if people we talk about peer modeling and we talk about people working together and even like go back to, I suppose, you know, when you talk about andragogy again and collaborative learning and people working together. So I'm in a classroom and I see John, my friend, doing it. I may. That could be a way. But don't ever force anybody to do it, I think. You know, the other thing is that. Within virtual reality, and I was I was doing um, a presentation with a few colleagues in different like ahead in in Ireland. Uh, they do a lot of stuff on universal design for learning, and their chief executive officer was just saying it's very much a safe space for people to learn. Well, okay, if they don't want to wear the headset, fine, but it is it it allows people because they're not in the real environment. There's no consequence to what happens. You know, there isn't, if you break his wrist in the virtual environment where I did snap his wrist, there is not going to be a, there's not going to, you might feel awful, but there isn't, it's not. So there, there is that how you sell it to people as well. But some people will continue to be a little bit nervous about it. But it's it's that safe space, I think, for people. And, um, this, you know, I, I keep coming back to the word of scaffolding people and, and supporting people. And and I know if, if a young person is listening to me now, they're probably saying, what's she talking about? We can go in and out. But when we were in, we were in the RDS at the World Skills and we had a number of, of um, teenagers from fifth and sixth year visiting the RDS for the World Skills because there was, you know, opportunities to see all the apprenticeships in, in Ireland and the different things that are going on. And it was great to be there. And there were a number of girls who, young girls, who I probably, I had made this judgment they would be okay with technology, but they weren't. I had to go through a little chat and I found if I gave two or three minutes of explaining the actual remote control, how it works, they got, they navigated quicker. But, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me, one particular girl um, was looking at her friend doing it. She, they finished up because there were queues of people waiting to do it. She came running back and then she said, can I please try this? I'm thinking of becoming a nurse and I'd really like to, to, to try this out. But she was nervous. She had to go away and she came back again as well. But she, again, she wasn't. I said, have you ever used um, a headset, a VR headset and controller before? And she hadn't. But just that little explanation as well around how to use the controller was really, really good to help her with it as well. But um, I suppose just in relation to our healthcare program, not all of the people but a lot of the people probably would be maybe 30 plus we'll say and they wouldn't be what we consider digital natives I'm not a digital native myself I, I'm learning things as I go on and technology is different to people say IT skills I can type I can technology is even smartphones smart technology that whole thing it's a little bit more than that and using the immersive technology and some people um, you know haven't used that type of thing and again it's around giving them the scaffolding and providing support on that as well. And I want to circle back to your your gender piece there because I've uh, been in the VR for learning industry for a while now. And when I first started in like 2016 and like you had tried the HTC Vive and started this podcast actually in, at that time, it was hard to find women who were you know, starting up companies or doing research in the industry. And, you know, fast forward to today, and thankfully there are more women like you, Mary, and it is encouraging. And I run a VR club at a school and, you know, there's 20 kids and 12 of them are girls. And so I'm so thankful that, like you said, we're encouraging females to be part of, you know, this, in my humble opinion, wonderful immersive medium and I, I can't help but hope that more and more females dive into this industry because it's it, it applies to so many topics and subjects and makes learning you know wonderful immersive mm. powerful so great to have people like you paving the way like your story with the girls and, and now I'll have to give credit to my son <laughs> who would have started off like three boys. But 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 just back to that point you said about the, the whole gender, I suppose, thing like that particular three day or those three days in the RDS. We, I have to say it would have been more females would have taken part. Now, maybe that's to do with the fact that it was healthcare. 
because two younger um, guys came in and said, can I try it? I'm thinking of becoming a doctor, you know, so maybe mm. that was the, the actual genre of the of the VR, because if you look at but I do know as well for my own um, children, you know, because that the headset, if there's birthday parties or whatever, um, you know, some will try. And I, I've often just said, have you used the headset before? And they say, no, it, it's still relatively new and young. Virtual reality is, you know, we have there is a lot of and I have noticed, you know, in LinkedIn. And I, I have to say it's a fantastic platform to be able to reach out. I was able to reach out to you and ask you different. You know, I would have reached out to people when I was doing research. Um, and we have the, the immersive uh, in, you know, um, industry in in Ireland led by um, James Corbett and Fiona Kelly and and those who I would have reached out to for information is something going on with healthcare assistance already and just to see is there something which there wasn't but um, it is still young but there's an awful lot happening now there's and my worry now is is it all happening too quickly and mm. is it all kind of like the, the ball is rolling and it's going really fast and will a few things be forgotten let's and maybe COVID has something to do with that as well because we all got into that's my worry about that and I would have done uh, I suppose a few conversations with James Corbett from Airmars just around a few things like that we need to I suppose work together on things and, and support each other and that's why I was delighted to find your podcast to hear all the different uh, I suppose projects and plans that are being used for virtual reality and where it's going where people are thinking and uh, that we can all learn from each other because it is a community because we've a lot to I suppose learn from each other uh, and that's really really important um, but again I, back to that thing I wonder if our virtual reality was another area of something I, you know would would we have attracted more males to it that those particular days as well that might be a, an important point to think about as well um it's it's just and I know with the gaming like I love Beat Saber I, I have to say I love <laughs> it but I cannot get you know I, I don't find that my sons will play that and even though I know boys play it and everything and, and there's a two girls that have um, kind of channels on it that promote it but it is a fantastic thing you feel like you're going to the gym you know but you're not actually leaving your own sitting room which is brilliant you know but um, no we, we have we have a good bit to go but are we going too fast as well mm. and particularly when we're bringing it into my worry would be that somebody would think, particularly from a training element, this is brilliant. We'll bring it in and we'll get this done. We'll do this training. We'll have that done. Will we lose where we should be bringing it in? And then will it be something that I didn't get anything from that? And it's really, we, we need to implement it in a way that we are, I suppose, thinking of all those pedagogies and around and methodologies and, and, and how we implement and, and, and I suppose support people. But as I said, in 10 years time, we will probably have people coming into training courses, which will know this technology. And then we'll have to look at it in a different way. We'll have to really roll on as well. With it. Um, but it's, it's, it is, it takes a lot to kind of implement it. And the whole, I mean, this is going on for me since really I started my research on it in 2020 to see what was going on with healthcare I know there's a bit going on for nurses and doctors but for healthcare assistance I couldn't mm. find anything and I know there's other platforms that you can get you know there's UBSA and MedVR and Catechist.com some of those things that have you can see things actually I think I looked at something that on one of those where the patient didn't want to take his medication which was really interesting uh, you know how he was it was acting I was thinking if I was in that scenario now how would I cope with that as well but um, there's a lot happening we just maybe need to kind of be careful where we're going and how we're going to do it. Speaking of that what's your timeline now for the modules that we talked about the uh, it's the uh, the bed bath skill module as well as the care check when do you hope to deliver that to classrooms and students to collect data on its efficacy mm. so the the plan at the moment is to kind of launch it as such in january of next year and just to give us enough time now to do a little bit more testing and to get it right but to have it into to offer two modules the two modules maybe from mid-february of next year but offer them as a single module where maybe someone can who's completed the full award does it or they can have it as a credit going forward not to be kind of putting it into the full award till we get 
get it, how do we, how does it work for the teachers? How does it work for the students, learners? What kind of time? Maybe we need to learn from that. And then when we bring it in, so mid-February, we will have it out there, but we will have tested it a lot uh, ourselves as well among staff and in how people feel about it. Because I think that's important to get that kind of feedback from people as well, exactly. And it's, it's probably, there will be people who will, I don't mean that, particular thing will will criticize virtual reality as you said they don't see it as of any value maybe or maybe they see it as a gimmick sometimes as well and you have to kind of go with that if people want to believe that i'm not going to dispute with them that's their that's their belief but uh, i think that the most important thing is is bringing and you talk about uh, i suppose the study of something you have to get it ready to do that and then if i'm looking at studying this or investigating this i also have to look at some somebody using a traditional method for a skills demonstration as opposed to the, the virtual. And even in relation to learning outcomes, like if I'm talking about learning outcomes, what am I talking about in learning outcomes? Okay, you have your learning outcomes as per the the, the actual skills demonstration and the marking um, scheme, but is it also a learning outcome that somebody felt they were in an immersive hospital and they really got the feel of the hospital and they felt they were ready to go because that's not going to be on the marking sheet for the assessment. So you might have, I feel I will have to look at it in a broader, um, I suppose, spectrum as well. What does it mean? What, 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 exactly what what learning outcome are we talking about mm, yeah That's, there's so much there that uh could be a like, whole new episode you know, absolutely and you know we talk about school you know we talk about children going to school we say and they, they learn the curriculum subject but then we talk about the hidden curriculum you know somebody said to me what do you mean by the hidden curriculum the hidden curriculum is maybe learning uh commitment to time turning up the different all the stuff uh, you know being able and it's the same way with if you look at virtual reality okay you do the task you do but what else did you learn in that particular but that particular immersive environment the feeling of being in a hospital the confidence of being able to carry out something you know so all of that stuff that sometimes we're crying out for as skills that's maybe needed within workspaces, but we're not always given credit for them. And not only that, the other thing that comes with this notion of the hidden curriculum is if you have an instructor who's in real life, they often bring their baggage into the teaching and learning, which might be positive. Maybe they're enthusiastic and they have a way about them, but sometimes they can bring negative baggage, which is their hidden curriculum, which can derail the learning process. Whereas in VR, if you have, you know, uh, it's more scalable because ultimately, you know, the experience is much more standardized because you're not having the variability of a human in there. You have mm. more of a standard base. But like I said, this is certainly a whole new episode that we could get into. And I'm mindful of time. So I want to leave space to say, is there anything else maybe that we haven't talked about that you might want the audience to know about your journey with the, this VR study that you're doing? Um, I suppose the one thing I would like the message from today is um, the whole, and I know I've said it probably a number of times now, but I don't think I can say it enough times, is when you're planning virtual reality within a classroom, within a program, within a module, within whatever setting, the consideration required for the learners, what you want out of it, why are you doing it, how are you going to do it, what are you going to do, and uh, if, 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 if you're for me, I'm talking about doing, I suppose, a researching on it that I, I, I need to be aware of the broader outcomes than just, you know, we talk about learning outcomes. You know, you tick this and we do, that's the case in all of our education programs. So you've met that outcome, you've done this, but it's bigger than that as well. And I think we have to give credit for virtual reality being able to capture the bigger picture sometimes as well it mightn't be in what i'm doing with the, the bed bath and the care check but other people who are designing uh, virtual reality environments that it's, it's really really important that that can be i suppose considered as well um i think as well just i i, I can only say 
for anyone thinking of bringing it into an education setting where maybe you have older learners, just that whole support thing. And, and people have that fear of being able to, or not being able to, and as you said, that performing thing, but it's it's not, it's not a judge. You're not going to be judged in the immersive environment. That's the thing. Whereas if you're doing something with a mannequin, you're going to be judged as well. Because, you know, or someone might be laughing. I usually end up laughing when I'm in role play. <laughs> Whereas in the immersive environment, my heart's going a bit faster. I'm thinking, this man is depending on me, even though, you know, it's it's, it's a virtual environment. So just to be aware of that, that all those things need to be, I suppose, included in the environment. And um, I, I don't think there's anything else that I can, I suppose, bring into the thing. Just, just to think, really think about it and consider what what you want from it and, and what, what it can do and what value it can add and as well. And I had a conversation with a colleague the other day about, you know, a particular group of people bringing um, virtual reality. They were saying not what you're doing, Mary, because we know this is around assessment and teaching, but they were talking about even community groups, you know, giving people the opportunity and maybe it's a 360 video or maybe it's augmented reality, just looking at immersive technologies and being able to say, well, what, what, what is suitable for this particular group or what can we do? And again, back to what you said, starting with the stepping stones of, you know, start small and go from there. If somebody could even, during COVID, I actually did all of the 360 videos of uh, on the MetaQuest. I went to Venice, I went to Paris, yeah. I went to, but that's different. That's not the same as interacting. You know, that's that's a different thing. You're still in virtual reality. But when you have to interact with something in a virtual environment, you have to pick up someone's hand. That's a totally different thing as well. You know. Yeah, well said. But yet at the same time, you know, we we also during lockdown, you know, we did the 360 videos just to feel you know, like we were getting out and about. You were going and, someplace. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. and it, it it was definitely it did a positive outcome on Fantastic. our mental health. It you know, did. we vis we visited some places, my wife and I, that we had traveled for traveled to in the past, and it really brought up our mood and our mental health. Mm. So there's mm. there's a time and a space and a place for all these things. How could people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the stuff that you're doing or some of the exciting things that uh, are coming in the future for you? Okay, well, they can check out my profile on LinkedIn and message me there, or they can email me uh, at Mary Walsh O'Shea, M-A-R-Y-W-A-L-S-H-O-S-H-E-A at www.etb.ie. Um, and certainly if anyone has any questions or, you know, I've reached out to people for some help and advice as well, I'm certainly there um, to help if I can, or maybe ask more questions. <laughs> Amazing. Mary, thanks so much for reaching out to me and coming on the show and keep doing great work at paving the way using this tool to improve learning. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks a million.